Section 13 of How the Other Half Lives. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Phil Chenevere. How the Other Half Lives by Jacob Reese. Chapter 12 The Bohemians. Tenement House Cigar Making. Evil as is the part which the tenement plays in Jewtown as the pretext for circumventing the law that was made to benefit and relieve the tenant, we have not far to go to find it in even a worse role. If the tenement is here continually dragged into the eye of public condemnation and scorn, it is because in one way or another it is found directly responsible for, or intimately associated with, three-fourths of the miseries of the poor. In the Bohemian quarter, it is made the vehicle for enforcing upon a proud race a slavery as real as any that ever disgraced the South. Not content with simply robbing the tenant, the owner, in the dual capacity of landlord and employer, reduces him to virtual serfdom by making his becoming his tenant, on such terms as he sees fit to make, the condition of employment at wages likewise of his own making. It does not help the case that this landlord-employer, almost always a Jew, is frequently of the thrifty Polish race just described. Perhaps the Bohemian Quarter is hardly the proper name to give to the colony, for though it has distinct boundaries, it is scattered over a wide area on the east side, in wedge-like streaks that relieve the monotony of the solid German population by their strong contrasts. The two races mingle no more on this side of the Atlantic than on the rugged slopes of the Bohemian Mountains. The echoes of the Thirty Years' War ring in New York after two centuries and a half with as fierce a hatred as the gigantic combat bred among the vanquished Czechs. A chief reason for this is doubtless the complete isolation of the Bohemian immigrant. Several causes operate to bring this about. His singularly harsh and unattractive language, which he can neither easily himself unlearn nor impart to others, his stubborn pride of race, and a popular prejudice which has forced upon him the unjust stigma of a disturber of the public peace and an enemy of organized labor. I greatly mistrust that the Bohemian on our shores is a much abused man. To his traducer, who casts up anarchism against him, he replies that the last census, 1880, shows his people to have the fewest criminals of all in proportion to numbers. In New York, a bohemian criminal is such a rarity that the case of two firebugs of several years ago is remembered with damaging distinctness. The accusation that he lives like the rat he is, cutting down wages by his underpaid labor, he throws back in the teeth of the trades unions with the countercharge that they are the first cause of his attitude to the labor question. A little way above Houston Street, the first of his colonies is encountered, in Fifth Street and thereabouts. Then for a mile and a half, scarce a bohemian is to be found, until 38th Street is reached. 54th and 73rd Streets, in their turn, are the centers of populous bohemian settlements. The location of the cigar factories, upon which he depends for a living, determines his choice of home, though there is less choice about it than with any other class in the community, save perhaps the colored people. 
probably more than half of all the bohemians in the city are cigar makers and it is the herding of these in great numbers in the so-called tenement factories where the cheapest grade of work is done at the lowest wages that constitutes at once their greatest hardship and the chief grudge of other workmen against them the manufacturer who owns say from three or four to a dozen or more tenements contiguous to his shop fills them up with these people charging them outrageous rents and demanding often even a preliminary deposit of five dollars key money deals them out tobacco by the week and devotes the rest of his energies to the paring down of wages to within a peg or two of the point where the tenant rebels in desperation when he does rebel he is given the alternative of submission or eviction with entire loss of employment his needs determine the issue usually he is not in a position to hesitate long unlike the polish jew whose example of untiring industry he emulates he has seldom much laid up against a rainy day he is fond of a glass of beer and likes to live as well as his means will permit the shop triumphs and fetters more galling than ever are forged for the tenant in the opposite case the newspapers have to record the throwing upon the street of a small army of people with pitiful cases of destitution and family misery men women and children work together seven days in the week in these cheerless tenements to make a living for the family from the break of day till far into the night often the wife is the original cigar-maker from the old home the husband having adopted her trade here as a matter of necessity because knowing no word of english he could get no other work as they state the cause of the bitter hostility of the trades unions she was the primary bone of contention in the day of the early bohemian immigration the unions refused to admit women and as the support of the family depended upon her to a large extent such terms as were offered had to be accepted the manufacturer has ever since industriously fanned the antagonism between the unions and his hands for his own advantage the victory rests with him since the court of appeals decided that the law passed a few years ago to prohibit cigar-making in tenements was unconstitutional and thus put an end to the struggle while it lasted all sorts of frightful stories were told of the shocking conditions under which people lived and worked in these tenements from a sanitary point of view especially and a general impression survives to this day that they are particularly desperate the board of health after a careful canvas did not find them so then i am satisfied from personal inspection at a much later day guided in a number of instances by the union cigar-makers themselves to the tenements which they consider the worst that the accounts were greatly exaggerated doubtless the people are poor in many cases very poor but they are not uncleanly rather the reverse they live much better than the clothing-makers in the tenth ward and in spite of their sallow look that may be due to the all-pervading smell of tobacco they do not appear to be less healthy than other indoor workers i found on my tours of investigation several cases of consumption of which one at least was said by the doctor to be due to the constant inhalation of tobacco fumes but an examination of the death records in the health department does not support the claim that the bohemian cigar-makers are particularly prone to that disease 
On the contrary, the bohemian percentage of deaths from consumption appears to be quite low. This, however, is a line of scientific inquiry which I leave to others to pursue, along with the more involved problem whether the falling off in the number of children, sometimes quite noticeable in the bohemian settlements, is, as has been suggested, dependent upon the character of the parrot's work. The sore grievances I found were the miserable wages and the enormous rents extracted for the minimum of accommodation, and surely these stand for enough of suffering. Take a row of houses in East 10th Street as an instance. They contained thirty-five families of cigar-makers, with probably not half a dozen persons in the whole lot of them, outside of the children, who could speak a word of English, though many had been in the country half a lifetime. This room, with two windows giving on the street, and a rear attachment without windows, called a bedroom by courtesy, is rented at $12.25 a month. In the front room a man and wife work at the bench from six in the morning till nine at night. They make a team, stripping the tobacco leaves together. Then he makes the filler, and she rolls the wrapper on and finishes the cigar. For a thousand they receive three dollars seventy-five cents, and can turn out together three thousand cigars a week. The point has been reached where the rebellion comes in, and the workers in these tenements are just now on a strike, demanding five dollars and five dollars fifty cents for their work. The manufacturer having refused, they are expecting hourly to be served with notice to quit their homes, and the going of a stranger among them excites their resentment until his errand is explained. While we were in the house, the ultimatum of the boss is received. He will give three dollars seventy-five cents a thousand, not another cent. Our host is a man of seeming intelligence, yet he has been nine years in New York and knows neither English nor German. Three bright little children play about the floor. His neighbor on the same floor has been here fifteen years, but shakes his head when asked if he can speak English. He answers in a few broken syllables when addressed in German. With $11.75 rent to pay for like accommodation, he has the advantage of his oldest boy's work beside his wife's at the bench. Three properly make a team, and these three can turn out four thousand cigars a week at three dollars seventy-five cents. This bohemian has a large family. There are four children, too small to work, to be cared for. A comparison of the domestic bills of fare in Tenth and in Ludlow Streets results in the discovery that this bohemian's butcher bill for the week, with meat at twelve cents a pound, as in Ludlow Street, is from two dollars and a half to three dollars. The Polish Jew fed as big a family on one pound of meat a day. The difference proves to be typical. Here is a suite of three rooms, two dark, three flights up. The ceiling is partly down in one of the rooms. Quote, it is three months since we asked the landlord to fix it, close quote, says the oldest son, a very intelligent lad who has learned English in the evening school. His father has not had that advantage, and has sat at his bench, deaf and dumb to the world about him, except his son, for six years. He has improved his time and become an expert at his trade. Father, mother, and son, together, a full team, make from fifteen to sixteen dollars a week. A man with venerable beard and keen eyes answers our questions through an interpreter in the next house. 
very few brighter faces would be met in a day's walk among america's mechanics yet he has in nine years learned no syllable of english german he probably does not want to learn his story supplies the explanation as did the stories of the others in all that time he has been working grubbing to earn bread wife and he by constant labor make three thousand cigars a week earning eleven dollars and twenty-five cents when there is no lack of material when in winter they receive from the manufacturer tobacco for only two thousand the rent of ten dollars for two rooms practically one with a dark alcove has nevertheless to be paid in full and six mouths to be fed he was a blacksmith in the old country but cannot work at his trade here because he does not understand ingliska if he could he says with a bright look he could do better work than he sees done here it would seem happiness to him to knock off at six o'clock instead of working as he now often has to do till midnight but how he knows of no bohemian blacksmith who can understand him he should starve here with his wife he can make a living at least i says she turning from listening to her household duties it would be nice for sure to have father work at his trade then what a home she could make for them and how happy they would be here is an unattainable ideal indeed of a workman in the most prosperous city in the world there is genuine if unspoken pathos in the soft tap she gives her husband's hand as she goes about her work with a half-suppressed little sigh the very ash-barrels that stand in front of the big rows of tenements in seventy-first and seventy-third streets advertise the business that is carried on within they are filled to the brim with stems of stripped tobacco leaves the rank smell that waited for us on the corner of the block follows us into the hallways penetrates every nook and cranny of the houses as in the settlement further downtown every room here has its workbench with its stumpy knife and queer pouch of bed-tick worn brown and greasy fastened in front the whole length of the bench to receive the scraps of waste this landlord employer at all events gives three rooms for twelve dollars fifty cents if to be dark one wholly and the other getting some light from the front room the mother of the three barefooted little children we met on the stairs was taken to the hospital the other day when she could no longer work she will never come out alive there is no waste in these tenements lives like clothes are worn through and out before put aside her place at the bench is taken already by another who divides with the head of the household his earnings of fifteen dollars fifty cents a week he has just come out successfully of a strike that brought the pay of these tenements up to four dollars fifty cents per thousand cigars notice to quit had already been served on them when the employer decided to give in frightened by the prospective loss of rent asked how long he works the man says quote, from they can see till bedtime close quote. bedtime proves to be eleven o'clock seventeen hours a day seven days in the week at thirteen cents an hour for the two six cents and half for each good average earnings for a tenement house cigar maker in summer in winter it is at least one-fourth less in spite of it all the rooms are cleanly kept after the bedroom farthest back the woman brings out a pile of moist tobacco leaves to be stripped they are kept there under cover lest they dry and crack from friday to friday when an accounting is made and fresh supplies given out 
The people sleep there, too, but the smell, offensive to the unfamiliar nose, does not bother them. They are used to it. In a house around the corner that is not a factory tenement lives now the cigar-maker I spoke of as suffering from consumption, which the doctor said was due to the tobacco fumes. Perhaps the lack of healthy exercise had as much to do with it. His case is interesting from its own standpoint. He, too, is one with a, for a bohemian, large family. Six children sit at his table, by trade a shoemaker. For thirteen years he helped his wife make cigars in the manufacturer's tenement. She was a very good hand, and until his health gave out two years ago, they were able to make from seventeen to twenty-five dollars a week by lengthening the day at both ends. Now that he can work no more, the family under the doctor's orders has moved away from the smell of tobacco. The burden of its support has fallen upon her alone, for none of the children is old enough to help. She has work in the shop at eight dollars a week, and this must go round. It is all there is. Happily, this being a tenement for revenue only, unmixed with cigars, the rent is cheaper, seven dollars for two bright rooms on the top floor. No housekeeping is attempted. A woman in 72nd Street supplies their meals, which the wife and mother fetches in a basket, her husband being too weak. Breakfast of coffee and hardtack or black bread, at twenty cents for the whole eight, a good many, the little woman says with a brave, patient smile, and there is seldom anything to spare, but the invalid is listening, and the sentence remains unfinished. What of dinner? One of the children brings it from the cook. Oh, it is a good dinner, meat, soup, greens, and bread, all for thirty cents. It is the principal family meal. Does she come home for dinner? No, she cannot leave the shop, but gets a bite at her bench. The question, a bite of what, seems as merciless as the surgeon's knife, and she winces under it as one shrinks from physical pain. Bread, then. But at night they all have supper together, sausage and bread. For ten cents they can eat all they want. Can they not, she says, stroking the hair of the little boy at her knee. His eyes glisten hungrily at the thought as he nods stoutly in support of his mother. Only, she adds, the week the rent is due, they have to shorten rations to pay the landlord. But what of his being an anarchist, this bohemian, an infidel, I hear somebody say? Almost one might be persuaded by such facts as these, and they are everyday facts, not fancy, to retort, what more natural? With every hand raised against him in the old land and the new, in the land of his hope for freedom, what more logical than that his should be turned against society that seems to exist only for his oppression? But the charge is not half true. Naturally, the Bohemian loves peace as he loves music and song. As someone has said, he does not seek war, but when attacked, knows better how to die than how to surrender. The Czech is the Irishman of Central Europe, with all his genius and his strong passions, with the same bitter traditions of landlord robbery, perpetuated here where he thought to forget them, like him ever and on principle in the opposition again the government wherever he goes. Among such people, ground by poverty until their songs have died in curses upon their oppressors, hopelessly isolated and ignorant of our language and our laws, it would not be hard for bad men at any time to lead a few astray, and this is what has been done. Yet even with the occasional noise made by the few, 
the criminal statistics already alluded to quite dispose of the charge that they incline to turbulence and riot. So it is with the infidel propaganda, the legacy perhaps of the fierce contention through hundreds of years between Catholics and Protestants on Bohemian soil of bad faith and savage persecutions in the name of the Christian's God that disgrace its history. The Bohemian clergyman, who spoke for his people at the Christian conference held in Chickering Hall two years ago, took even stronger ground. Quote, they are Roman Catholics by birth, infidels by necessity, and Protestants by history and inclination, close quote, he said. Yet he added his testimony in the same breath to the fact that, though the freethinkers had started two schools in the immediate neighborhood of his church to counteract its influence, his flock had grown in a few years from a mere handful at the start to proportions far beyond his hopes, gathering in both anarchists and freethinkers, and making good church members of them. Thus the whole matter resolves itself once more into a question of education, all the more urgent because these people are poor, miserably poor almost to a man. Said one of them who knew thoroughly what he was speaking of, quote, There is not one of them all who, if he were to sell all he was worth tomorrow, would have the money enough to buy a house and lot in the country. End section 13. Recording by Phil Chenevere.